Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Anybody, given the sacrifices in your commitment to a, the country and serving overseas. But Joe Biden, the former vice president, he told a crowd uh, that we should actually stand and applaud Colonel Vindman. Watch this. He should be pinning a medal on Vindman and not on Rush Limbaugh. And I think, I think we should be doing that. I think we should all stand and give Colonel Vindman a, a, a show of how much we supported him. Stand up and clap for Vindman. <laughs> get your, get up there. Who we are. That's who we are. When you see that, uh, what's your reaction to it? Well, um, I, I, I like Joe Biden. I've met him several times, and uh, but uh, that that right there is ridiculous. And I, I respect. Uh, Donald Trump's actions on uh, escorting him out of the White House uh, because he, as a team player, he should have brought it up to the through the chain of command and then blown the whistle if it didn't get approved. And so exactly my my uh, insight is I would have fired him, too, and said, I can't trust you on my team if you can't bring me things that you don't agree with. And for Nancy Pelosi to also call in him a hero, I think is a word that gets thrown around way too much. I respect his service, and I, I understand he's a Purple Heart recipient, but uh, being a Purple Heart recipient doesn't make somebody a hero. Well, uh, a lot of... Oh, I'm no, sorry. Leo, I mean, I think you're, I appreciate your candor because uh, it, wearing the uniform doesn't make you immune from criticism, especially if you're on the National Security Council and you've now it's now been identified that you're probably a part of leaking. You certainly were part of a concerted effort to hurt the president. You testified against him. And then Democrats are outraged. that The president takes his prerogative to say, you serve at my pleasure. You're moving on. He's still in the military. He's just moving out of the White House. So why the outrage from people that want to hold up Vindman and say he's such a big hero. I, I think uh, a lot of the folks that I know when this all started, um, those that knew him when he was going through Ranger School, uh, said that he was a child thief in Ranger School and couldn't be trusted, and, and uh, they tried peering him out. And they said, well, I guess it hasn't changed much. And usually folks that try to uh, make a big statue of something there are what we call spotlighters in the military trying to highlight themselves as a hero or doing something great. And you could do something great just doing your job. Uh, Leroy, let me translate that a little bit. Child thief meaning when there's limited food, you're taking some so that you can have some and your buddies don't. Uh, Spotlight Ranger is someone who, when the spotlight's on, you do a great job. When it's not, you're not necessarily helping your buddies. And to be peered out means your fellow peers are voting against you to graduate from that particular school. I've also heard his political allegiance, he always wore it openly. Like, we all are allowed to have political views, but he's, he's been a left winger his entire career. And now the president has a prerogative to get rid of him. Hey, I, and then he'll have to accept the uh, title of Mr. Vinman. <laughs> Say that again, Leroy. I didn't hear it. Oh, I said then, then he'll have to accept the title as 
Mr. Vindman, not that's Lieutenant right. Colonel. That's right. As opposed to what he did correcting uh, the House member when they when they didn't say Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, Leroy, you've earned the rank of Master Sergeant and the Medal of Honor for our country. Thank you for coming on and, and just shooting straight with us this morning. We really oh. appreciate it. Thank, Thank you for you. having Thanks me. Service. I, can can I send a quick uh, happy birthday? And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast, the B part of the 10th of February, Year of Our Lord 2020 show. Um, you know, I, I get sick of the media and their establishment veterans. Sorry, folks, it's cold as hell down here. I had to get my schnoz. I guess I should have done that before I started recording. Um, and I thought that was an interesting soundbite. You don't see a lot of interviews with vets on Vinman. You see establishment liberal, progressive, guys who serve, generals that were liberal. They don't talk to normal. That's a Medal of Honor winner, and he says it. Yeah, Vimmin's a piece of shit, okay? So, to our military corner, Air Force saw a record-breaking number of suicides in 2019. The U.S. Air Force is 137 airmen, a 33% increase over previous year. And, you know, me and my wife had a long conversation about this, and I don't want to belittle anybody because of suicide is suicide. 22 a day, I wear a bracelet for it. It is horrible, but this is one I just can't pin. Why? Why? None of these guys are combat air controllers. Um, some are drone operators, which there's been a lot of liberal-made... Um, documentaries to say that, you know, it's really hard on people. But it's not like it's pilots or people that are actually killing people. So there's something wrong over in the Air Force. Maybe it's too easy or too civilianized, so it's hard to put it together when you're going out and making war, because that's what your job is. Whereas in the Army, it's still pretty smart, Spartan, you know. This is just a Spartan lifestyle. I don't know, but that's pretty bad. Our big one, and it's just horrible, green on blue, soldiers of 7th Special Forces Group killed. Two U.S. troops killed by Afghan soldiers. Two American troops were killed and six other wounded by an Afghan soldier armed with a machine gun. Things I got offline was a 240 Bravo. It's our gun that we gave to them. Chad Garland finally got the information out. DOD has identified the slain American Americans as Staff Sergeant Javier Jaguar Gutierrez, 28, of San Antonio, Texas, and Staff Sergeant Antonio Ray Rodriguez, 28, of Las Cruces, New Mexico, both posthumously promoted to Sergeant First Class. Both were signed to 3rd Battalion, 7th Special Forces Group, Elgin Air Force Base. Shooter in Afghan uniform kills two U.S. soldiers, wounds others. Six Americans and three Afghan troops were also said to have been injured in the attack. He basically hit a whole column. In eastern Nagar province, the conditions of those injured were not specified. A joint U.S.-Afghan force came under heavy fire after meeting with local leaders in the district capital. Colonel Sonny Leggett, a spokesman for U.S. forces in Afghanistan, said. Current reports indicate an individual in an Afghan uniform opened fire on the combined U.S.-Afghan force with a machine gun. The wounded service members are receiving medical treatment at a U.S. facility. The motive behind the attack wasn't known initially, and an investigation has been launched to their lives. Um, Leggett 
I'm sorry, Gutierrez and Rodriguez were with third of the seventh special forces. Rodriguez enlisted in the army in 2009. Eventually, was assigned to Third Ranger Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment, according to his military biography. In June 2018, he volunteered. Voluntarily reclassified as a cryptologist, linguist, and Spanish, Rodriguez was deployed to Afghanistan ten times in support of Operation Freedom Sentinel, eight times with the 75th Ranger Regiment, and twice with the 3rd Battalion, 7th Special Forces Group. His awards and decoration, including a Bronze Star Medal, a Joint Service Commendation Medal, an Army Commendation Medal, he posthumously was awarded the Bronze Star and Purple Heart. Sergeant First Class Rodriguez was selfless and served honorably. He was certainly among the best in the unit, said Colonel John W. Sons. Gutierrez also enlisted in the Army in 2009 as an infantryman and was stationed at Fort Bragg, assigned to 2nd Battalion, 504th Parachute Infantry Regiment. He graduated Special Forces Q course in 2015 under communication and was assigned to 3rd Battalion, 7th. Gutierrez deployed once to Iraq while serving with the 504th and once to Afghanistan, assigned at 7th SFG. In his first deployment, he died. God be with their families. That's just a fucked up way to die. Especially when it's supposedly our ally. And I hate to put politics after it, but I don't have a choice. Surely even Ilian Omar gets why we have the GI Bill and the price men and women pay every day who actually receive it. They're not handing out free college educations to people just because. Her tweet. Imagine what it would do for our country and those who live here if we were to take the ethos behind the original GI Bill and apply it to everybody, canceling all student debt and making public college universities and vocational schools tuition free. Then again, maybe she doesn't get it. Luckily, Chris Mann was more than willing to explain it. Chris Manning. I'm a recipient of the GI Bill. The GI Bill was earned by agreeing to serve my country for six years and to put my life at risk as an infantryman in Afghanistan. I wasn't something just given to me with nothing expected in return. <clears throat> Don't cheapen our sacrifice with this comparison. The ethos, meaning the whole concept of signing a blank check payable to the United States government for up to and including your life, should it be called on you, and in the exchange, said government holds their end of the contract with benefits earned like the GI Bill. That ethos? What will they do to earn it? I served 22 years as 11 Bravo, and I definitely earned my GI Bill. Some trail mix eating, patchouli oil reeking, neck beard general study major better be going through basic training for that. Yeah, I, I concur with him. And what she doesn't know, because she's an ignorant Islamist who is an anti-Semite to the highest order, I had to pay. Every month, $75 was taken out of my check for two years for me to get 25000 back in 1985. It wasn't free. I still had to serve my two-year commitment at the time, because that's what I signed up for, and pay in wasn't free and then lastly to show that the pentagon's a bunch of fucking scrubs and i fucking hate them all this is starting to circle around many military websites 
More than three dozen military hospitals to stop treating retirees' families. Memo shows. They're pushing the Obama shit again. So, the mil- you know, the people that sit there and go, the military's a bunch of conservative fucking cousin fucking pieces of shit. There's plenty of people rolling around that are libs. And what they want to do is three dozen of the 50 medical treatment facilities, or MTFs, would kick everybody out but soldiers. They don't know which ones they would be. My my guess is Fort Campbell, Fort Bragg, the big ones wouldn't. But then you'd have to go out on the economy and start getting TRICARE standard and paying in. This is once again probably preparation for the forever liberal fantasy that tr- Trump's not going to get reelected. So they're prepping for a Democratic president who's going to say, fuck them soldiers. I need that money so I can hand it away to uh, Islamists in Ilian Omar's fucking district. Yeah. More to follow on that. Let's go into college crazy. This is one of my favorites. Whenever campus reform or the college fix does this, it's just hilarious. Quotes from Obama State of the Union. What did you think of Trump saying this? Oh, that's fucking horrible. And then, oh, oh, I didn't know Obama said that. Were you trying to get crazy with this thing? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. What if I told you all these quotes are actually 2020 Democratic candidates' quotes? I'm Kevin Phillips with Campus Reform. This week, President Trump is giving his fourth State of the Union address. I'm in Washington, D.C., getting college students' opinions on quotes from that address. But what they don't know is that all the quotes are actually from 2020 Democratic candidates for president. Will that change their minds? Let's find out. The White House released an early transcript of the State of the Union. Going to get your reaction to a few of the more controversial quotes. Talking to black voters, trying to win their support, saying, quote, the other side is going to put you all back in chains. Uh, What do you think of that one? That's inappropriate. That should not be spoken like that. I mean, I think that's just flat out racist. Nah, that's pretty horrendous. We should get a new president, probably. We shouldn't have, like, someone like that as like a role model for kids. I don't think anyone is trying to do that. Talking about North Korea, this administration's success will be judged on whether we can eliminate North Korea's nuclear weapons and verify they're gone once and for all. Well, um, that sounds very threatening, um, as if we're going to be executing him completely. That it's warmongering, and I also think that there's other things to focus on with North Korea than just nuclear weapons. I think it would be warmongering, but also it's just like a part of his rhetoric to like assert dominance and like assert American exceptionalism, things like that. So it doesn't really surprise me that he said something like that. Knowing him, he's very like irrational. And, yeah, I'd say slightly inaccurate. Next up, talking about inner city violence and gun violence, saying, quote, those kids think they're going to get killed anyway because all their friends are getting killed. They just don't have any long term focus or anything. It's a joke to have a gun. It's a joke to pull the trigger to them. Yeah, so... I mean, he's saying that because these are communities of people of color. It's just, it's not even, it's not even veiled racism, it's just racism. 
that's flat out ridiculous and very just not appropriate language, I feel like. Oh, oh what? <laughs> well, I think that's pretty um, unrealistic. To kind of put all the blame for gun violence on those kids and not the people who are manufacturing them and the people who are selling them is... Uh, an issue in and of itself. I feel like that's really belittling to the people in those uh, areas to say, oh, they don't care, when there are many people who are trying to better their situation. Next up, talking about Israel-Palestine, obviously hot button issue for a lot of people. Quote, uh, when Palestine and Hamas put rocket launchers next to hospitals and schools, they're using civilians to protect their military. I believe Israel has a right at that point to defend itself. What's your take? Uh, I think he needs to use more peaceful language, and I think it needs to be taken care of in a more peaceful, diplomatic way. I'm very pacifist, so I really don't support war, so I don't support any of that at all. Using that kind of language is very charged. He is Israel messed up. I mean, and, and a lot of people do, but him especially, I mean, Israel isn't the one that we should be backing at all. What if I told you all these quotes are actually 2020 Democratic candidates quotes? Oh, I would believe you. <laughs> They are. Interesting. Is that surprising? Uh, yeah. These are actually all quotes from Democratic candidates in oh, 2020. Oh, interesting. What um, do you think of that? Um, I don't know. What if I told you these are actually all quotes from Joe Biden, Elizabeth oh, Warren, really? and other Democrat candidates? Who said, the, who said the, um, the chains one? Joe Biden. Joe Biden said that. Yeah. I did not know that they said that. The in chains one, uh, it makes more sense in that context now. Um, and whoever said that, like that is uh, concerning and not so. Joe Biden. With. Not shocking. <laughs> Are you surprised by that? By the quotes? What's your take on that? Yeah. I think that um, everybody kind of. Every, I feel like everyone's a hypocrite at some point, a little bit. We label like who has these thoughts and like. If you're a Democrat, you should think this way. And, like, if you're a Republican, you think a certain way. Um, but I think sometimes there are overlapping beliefs that we kind of overlook. But I think that initially I'm like, oh, he said it. Like, let me find something bad about it. So, yeah, I think that is fair. Twitter informs a lot of my political decisions. I mean, Twitter informs a lot of my decisions, period. Twitter is great. I love Twitter. But it's definitely radicalized me to the left a lot more than I think that I was. I mean, it's all stuff that we kind of associate with the other side, at least. From my understanding, again, the school is mostly liberal. Yeah, I think often some people would look at what you just said and say, like, oh, my candidate didn't say that, or, you know, like, they would never have done that in the past. But I think that, like, everyone's opinions change, and, like, everybody says questionable things now and then, and I think that um, it's beneficial to accept that. I think people are very, like, okay... If it's what this person is saying, I'm going to find a way to make it bad. And if it's someone that I want to support, then maybe I can find a way to make it sound good. Oh, well, hello there. I'm Kappa Phillips with Campus Reform. Thanks so much for watching. If you want to join our team, we're always looking for new investigators, correspondents, and tipsters. Click right here to learn more about that. If you want to donate to help us make more videos like the one you just saw, click that button there. And if you want to be among the first person to see all of our new content, click that subscribe button right over there. Thanks so much. Hey, I, I didn't I didn't hear you click anything. Um, did they click one yet? Isn't that nice? We don't really know anything other than what our friends tell us and our college professors who went after racist evil Rush Limbaugh, but the one I wanted to cover because there was numerous college. High school teacher on leave after poorly celebrating Limbaugh's cancer diagnosis in a tweet 
It's awesome that he's dying. English teacher in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, sent out a tweet celebrating the host's diagnosis and wishing him a painful death, replying to a tweet that reportedly short support for Limbaugh. Milwaukee High School of Arts teacher Travis Sanderson reportedly tweeted the following, according to Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Limbaugh absolutely should have to suffer from cancer. It's awesome that he's dying, and hopefully it is as quick as it is painful. The Sentinel reports that Sarandos, or Sarandersen, or I can't fucking say his name, has since deleted his Twitter account that he's been placed on leave from the school. The Daily Wire reached out to Milwaukee Public Schools for comment, and Shahari Douglas, yeah, a communication director, an outreach responded with the following statement. We're aware of Mr. Sanders' uh, action and can confirm that he's not speaking on behalf of the students or staff of Milwaukee High School of the Arts or the Milwaukee Public School. The district is following policy and procedure related to the personal matter. Mr. Sanders has been placed on leave pending further investigation. That's the kind of guy I want teaching my kids. I mean, seriously, that's some good shit. Rutgers professor, Iowa caucuses are a sickening display of whiteness. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that, that's fucking nice. Professor at Rutgers in New Jersey posted a tweet complaining about the whiteness of the Democratic Iowa caucuses. Rutgers American Studies and Art History professor Nicole Fleetwood had some concerns about the race of the Democratic candidate in the in the Hawkeye State. Watching the Iowa caucus is a sickening display of overrepresentation of whiteness. Fleetwood's biography on Rutgers website describes her as a writer, curator, and art critic whose interests are contemporary black dysphoric art and visual culture, photography studies, art and public practice, performance studies, gender and feminist studies, black cultural history, creative nonfiction, prison abolition, and carceral studies. Oh, poverty studies and hating whitey was listed somewhere on her black Twitter. Once again, national news, if she was white, oh, you know it would be. Students earn credit for organizing for social justice. The application for a new grassroots community organizing course at the University of Massachusetts Amherst asked students their opinion on being woke and to respond to comments on the challenges faced by the left. Do you have a passion for social justice? Do you want to make a difference? Ask a flyer advertising the course. The course being offered to students at all five universities of Massachusetts College seek to teach students how to advance social justice through grassroots organizing. Students will earn five credit hours by studying ways that diverse communities build power to address complex systems of marginalization, violence, and inequity. The course description states its primary objective is for students to develop the capacity to learn from and act in effective and complex solidarity with communities organizing for social, economic, racial, and environmental justice. Oh, that's a fucking mouthful. The course applicants or application includes an essay prompt in which the students must respond to a Facebook post by scholar activist Kaniga Yamada Taylor. If you got three hyphen names, you're a deuce bag. Made seven days after Trump's inauguration. The post refers to the issue for the left as being, how do we get from where we are today to where we want to be in terms of making our marchers blacker, browner, and working, and more working class? 
Yesterday was the beginning, not the end. What happens in between will be decided by what we do. Movements do not come to us from heaven fully formed and organized. They're built by regular folks. We must do a better job at facilitating debate, discussion, and arguments so that we can talk about how to build the kind of movement we want. But the endless critiques with no commitment to diving into organizing the struggle for the kind of movement we want is not a serious approach. There are literally millions of people in the country who are now questioning everything. We need to open up our organizations, planning meetings, marches, and other access to them. We need to read together, learn together, be in the streets together, and stand up to this assault together. <laughs> and let's... Start engaging people and stop writing people off before we've even gotten started. Well, you didn't follow any of this. Applicants are then asked to react to the quote, considering questions like, are you often critical of people for not being woke enough? The flyer advertising the course directs applicants to a website with a course description that references an alternative spring break trip, which is mandatory. As a separate retreat for which no details are provided. It's called an indoctrination camp. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yale apologizes, wait for it, for outdated terminology while announcing facial feminization coverage. <laughs> You're never woke enough! Yeah, they use some outdated shit because they referenced gender. There is no goddamn gender. Unless you're talking about Elizabeth Warren. Or Klobuchar. Or Hillary. Or any liberal lefty. Nancy Pelosi. Then there's gender. Just for a few seconds. Then it goes back away. Professor wants social justice content in math books. Yeah. Because one plus one equals woke. Yeah. Chad Topaz. I might be offered to join the editorial board of a particular math book series. If so, I'd accept only in order to advance social justice. What are your best ideas for how? Free text? Social justice content? Required inclusive teaching component of a book proposal? Go nuts! He made his tweet uh, private, so I couldn't get the responses. But my response would have been, Hey, calculators don't see your feelings. That would be my answer. University researchers researchers develop safe sexting tips for kids. I got a safe sexting tip for kids. If I catch you talking like that again on your goddamn phone, I'm shutting it off. There it is. Everybody's safe now. Professor at Florida, or FAU, this is abbreviate, recently published an article arguing that parents should teach their teen children safe sexting. Samir Hidusha, Hindusha, Hindi Uja, whatever, we'll just call him Samir, works with college Justin Patchen, published a report in, or colleague, sorry, Justin Patchen, published a report in Journal of Adolescent Health titled, It is Time to Teach Safe Sexing. In a report, Hadiji Samir, and Patchen acknowledged that many children are not, sex, are not sexting. According to their unpublished research of a national survey of about 5,000 participants aged 12 to 17 in April 2019, 14% of participants had sent sexually explicit pictures and 23% had received such pictures. The colleagues also acknowledge that youth 
who engaged in sexting opened themselves up to possible significant long-term consequences such as humiliation, extortion, victimization, school sanctions, reputational damage, and even criminal charges. Despite this, they believe that there should be an education for children about how to sex safety. They define safe sexting education as teaching youth about the possible consequences while still equipping them with the knowledge to minimize harm that may result. The report includes 10 key takeaways for adults to teach children about sexting, including only sending illicit messages to people they know and trust. Last time I checked, not that I surf for shit like that, there's a lot of girlfriend porn on the internet. I mean, let's be honest. Nobody's safe. You break up, they send all your fucking coochie pictures all over the place. Uh, consider boudoir pictures instead of full nude images. The researchers also suggest teaching children to keep their faces, birthmarks, and scars out of any nude photos they may send and to only use applications that provide the capability for sent images to be automatically and securely deleted. Yeah. How about don't? If you have a daughter, don't. Don't send pictures. If you're a male, men don't send pictures of their junk. They don't do that. Men don't do it. Unless you have like the Empire State Building in the background, or a huge cruise ship, like off in the distance, to give more depth. I mean, you gotta have fucking size matters. Any picture you're gonna send is gonna look like a fucking worm in a nest. I'm just saying, men don't do that. New mandated UCLA diversity training tells students. Not to say lame and insane. Want to treat people with respect? One strategy is to be aware of how language choices can exclude or insult others. Making a choice to avoid using the word like gay, lame, or insane as shorthand to mean something as bad or difficult isn't about being silenced or politically correct. It's being informed and respectful. Even though we might not mean it in this way, Using words related to identify like sexual orientation and disability as if they are negative increases stigma against marginalized groups. What happened to context? Why can't we go back to context? If I'm talking to a black person and I say something racist, it's racist. If I'm talking to a person with mental disabilities and I say retarded, that's inappropriate. But as referenced on the show, me saying a light's retarded and some lady who's using her disabled kid as a crutch to make people feel sorry for herself, having a full-fledged fucking meltdown on a Washington, D.C. street, I was just like, get over yourself. I didn't call your kid a retard. I called the fucking light a retard. I would not be shamed that day. UCLA has implemented required diversity training for students, teaching them about the dangers of using such words as lame. UCLA sent out an email to all students inviting them to complete an education training module, one already required by first-year freshmen and new transfer students. A later email indicated the training was mandatory, but the office later used the phrase strongly recommended, which is still mandatory. This module, the email from Maria Q. Bandizi, the Dean for Students read, created by EverFi and Advocates for the African Student Union. 
which support from the Mother Organization Collection, is designed to be briefly introduction to a lifetime of learning about engaging with and respectfully discussing identities. The module broke up into several sections, beginning with survey asking students for, among other things, the race, pronouns, gender, and self-identity. And I have all the print screens. Do you consider any of the following to be a significant part of your gender identity? Woman, man, transgender, cisgender, non-binary, genderqueer, prefer not to answer. I am not familiar with these options, which is going to get you some more training. I'm just saying, not, I don't know what that says. How do you self-identify asexual? (laughs) What are you, a fucking worm? Bisexual, gay, heterosexual, lesbian, pan, queer, questioning, prefer not to answer, not selected. Please specify. Then it has a quiz learning section which participants were asked their views on various social justice topics, then informed that they were wrong. Uh, diversity is about understanding and uh, the financial inclusion is about welcoming, welcoming all people. Wrong. Another word for fairness is equity, equality, blah, blah. Click your answer. Intersectionality remains, means, refers to welcoming all people, the idea that everybody's equal, but these people are more important than you. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much what it was. Uh, the module then shifts to an education portion in which students were instructed to think about how my, to make their own circle of friends and to, for, to, to avoid using words like lame or insane because saying them increase stigma against marginalized people. In what way is your circle of friends diverse? I just make friends. I don't look, you know, I don't have my token black guy. I'm sure black people don't have a token white guy. Have you ever have you ever something about whether a space is inclusive and welcoming to others? What opportunities might you currently have to make our learning community more inclusive and respectful? The module is nearly identical to one used by George Washington University as reported by Campus Reform earlier. When the module was completed, students were offered a certificate but no confirmation from the official university sources they actually completed the training. UCLA, once again, didn't respond to anything because they don't have to. We're right, you're wrong for not looking at the world like we do. Our college crazy spills over to gay shit. And this was disturbing. Hey, hey, hey. Bow, bow, bow. Little pump and cut. Hey, gang shit, gang shit, gang shit, gang shit, gang shit. Yes, that's what you thought it was, boys and girls. A girl 
uh, actually attractive young lady in a halter top and a pair of rather cute underwear, which made me feel uncomfortable that I actually thought those first, which shows I'm still a male buried under this old facade, being spanked on a college. Indiana University. I love sex. Sex Fest 20. Events. Sex Salon kickoff to kink. Tuesday, February 4th through 7th. The Bishop. Join us discussion about desire and communication. Dr. Debbie Habernick. Host Dr. Lex Brown James. A licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in relationships. Kink Workshop. Wednesday, February 5th at 8 p.m. Brown our educational booths, browse our educational booths, demonstrations, use of different sex toys, free HIV testing, BDSM safety panel, Thursday, February 6th, hear personal stories, include who practice BDSM, more HIV testing, because we got to do that, because we don't want people to get AIDS during our thing. Indiana University funds kick off the kink. Kink Workshop showcasing BDSM practice at the school's annual sex fest for students. The Indiana University Health Center hosts the university's annual sex fest with an event Tuesday called Kickoff to Kink, where the school's Dr. Debbie Hebernick hosted licensed marriage and family therapist Dr. Lex Brown, who specializes in relationship and intimacy, according to the University Health Center's Facebook page, which has been taken down. Neither Brown, James, or Hebernick responded to requests for comment from the Daily Caller News Foundation. Kink Off to Kink was followed by Wednesday Kink Workshop, according to the Facebook event page. It features educational booths that instruct students on safe use of different sex toys and a workshop on contract development and boundaries. Gotta have your sex word, your safe words, yeah. The Sex Vex event scheduled for Thursday night appears to have been canceled. Tonight's Sex Fest events have been canceled. We apologize for any inconveniences may cause. Uh, Indiana University Health Center wrote on Facebook page, video filmed by student congressman Matt Allman and exclusively obtained by campus reform shows a man whipping a woman who's tied up. Allman noted in a tweet that the exhibited exhibition was held in an open dorm hall. This event is a waste of taxpayer, fu- taxpayer funds and student tuition. They took this shit down so quick, you just wouldn't believe it. I mean, they just did. This girl is on an X, kind of like Game of Thrones playing, and... Wow. Um, other tweets by him. I don't know if he got anything out, because they have scrubbed the net. I mean, we're talking scrubbed it. It's all gone. He's got his cancellation, uh, the spank video. Yeah, that's it. It, it. They didn't get much out. There's some photos that surfaced. Um, tables at the event were covered with whips, dildos, paddles, and other sexual objects. Campus form ported. Tables also feature flyers. One of the flyers listed different types of nipple toys including a clothespin, nipple pump, nipple lasso, magnetic clamp, adjustable clamp, clover clamp, nipple tweezers, and hand. 
Another flyer photo- photographed by campus format attendees to pick from different bondage activities and circle things you know you want or cross out things you know you don't want. <clears throat> bondage options on the flyer included rope, leather cuffs, cages, and collar lead. I'm getting to a point. Don't worry. I'm just not reading this for kink. Other options included sensations play. Categories included electricity, hair pulling, scratching, mind fucks, and exhibitionism. This is a fucking college. Chuck Carney did not respond. Nobody would respond once this broke. Like I said, they took it off the internet. There's nothing. Uh, DCNF. But the spokesman told Campus Reform that practicing BDSM safely is one of the topics most requested by students. The fucking kids. You know, we had a Yale soundbite on here about a girl butthurt over, hey, you know, it's Halloween, stop being so uptight by a black lady. She screamed and cursed him out. It became a Twitter moment. She was so right because white people are bad. And in her diatribe was, hey, I came here. You're like my parents. You're supposed to take care of me. Where where was the adult in the room to go, yeah, when I first got my pubes, I wanted to do kinky shit. But why don't you do that on your fucking own time? We're going to teach you like math, social justice bullshit. You know, that's really what they want to teach them. We want to indoctrinate you in the ways of Democrats, but maybe this is the ways of the Democrats. I mean, with Epstein, let's be honest. Uh, Our public health researchers have found some evidence to suggest that people are engaging in broader range of sexual activities and as a result in the IU Health Center mission to make sure they practice it safely. Oh, okay. Is that how Team Vogue whips up, A, I'm going to teach teenagers anal sex? We cover that every year. They put it out on Christmas this year. The pictures look like it came from a fucking porn convention. It is so inappropriate. It's just so inappropriate. Uh, another article, uh, agree not to use, okay, uh, students who attend this event will be required to sign a BDSM safety panel contract where they agree not to use any recording devices, maintain the confidentiality of the panelists, and to be respectful of all participants. The event is being funded by the university according to Mr. Carney. The money comes largely from grants and research funding, but also to student organizations. Matt Allman found the event objectionable, telling Campus Reform, I find it very disappointing the Indiana University sponsoring such a weird event. I'm beyond disgusted that this is a university-sponsored event. IU is morally bankrupt. So, once it broke, they canceled it. Um, and then this is on the same day that Campus Reform reported the story. IU announced on Facebook that it had canceled the first day of the event. Staff overseeing the event received credible information about a panel disruption, prompting the cancellation. It's those goddamn Christian conservatives. Those pieces of shit. By Friday morning, the university had altogether removed the event from Facebook as opposed to merely marking it as canceled. The event had faced significant backlash. In addition to a number of social media users and commenters expressing their disgust by the event, one UI student, Congressman, said, morally bankrupt, which we already read. So, it went away. And nobody is punished for it. Let me just say this. 
it's it's the elephant in the room. And this was a God fest where we got Bibles and a panel talking about how morally bankrupt our country is. Oh, we would have got canceled too, but it would have made CNN. Mm-hmm. CNN, the most trusted name in fucking liberal news. So to our gay websites, we start with Pink News. Trailblazing gay rapper, Mr. Strange, never heard of him, has a powerful message for homophobes refusing to listen to him. Yeah, because you're a homophobe if you don't want to hear some Bush League fucking rapper. That's like me saying, hey, you're all bigots because you won't listen to Big Chunky T's fucking new beat that I just dropped. Nobody knows who the fuck I am, and I've never heard of this guy. Yeah, man. Let's get it, my so strange. Yeah. Alright then. Yo. Now they think because I'm gay that I can't bully tracks, pull it back. I don't wanna hear no talk about Batty man. I'll show you niggas how to trap. I'll flip a pack and bring it back. Ask you for some Charlie. I said, darling, I'm the ganja man. Try that shit all workers, fuck that shit. I'll do it hand to hand. Plug is talking Brexit cars, fucking with Amsterdam. Not looking for the exit. How the fuck you gonna lead this shit? Leave this prick. Give me life to save the world like Jesus did. Took me hours chopping down this butcher, making easy flips. I'm a skater. I be grinding package, doing double flips. My nigga on that villain shit. I'm a trapper. When we hit a lit man, we was only kids We went in there with samurais, I thought we should've come with sticks Nigga bought his phone and dropped it, fuck man, that's the dumbest shit and ever since I come out, guess they all forgot I was on the strip I've been about Used to keep them thingies off in Stephen house So tell me why, niggas acting like they way more gang than I I was there, block five, I was there, dot dots I was there, long knives, certain men weren't banning stools Stop gassing your alumni If you say you love your mum, stop swearing on your mum's life Must have dropped 500 jewels, it's looking like a long night Treat the light all like a bonsai Thought you got the long nose, tunnel vision Got the long eye How can I just pass the ball You niggas on the onside Metaphors Go get information From a better source Communications through my line But I ain't even talking most Talking about the hardest out The subject must be strange Of course They tried to close the door on me Like fuck the shit I break the door Let the hate your players course Why you gotta say that for My cousin a victim of the streets My bro's a victim of the law Rolling walk the path alone I'm fluent with the master sword Say you're gonna do it Then just do it What you talking for Realist that has ever lived Don't focus on my preference How you call me faggot Last night you was fucking Lesbians, all these niggas know street, but they ain't even know I teach. I teach how to spit, and you might turn out half as cold as me. Really, only 20 years, looking like an older G. Came up off the road, you see. I'm way too custom to the streets, no resting for the wicked. So I gave up trying to find my peace instead of making calls. I got the scaly on the way to K. Yeah, outlandish for it. Yeah, man. Alright man, this one's a little bit deeper Trying to tell a story man Yeah 
I'm getting sick of these situations I'm always in Niggas DM me say cold, bro, he fucks with a kid But that's fate, was the last time niggas posting my shit Being gay is looking long, I should have just kept it in Always say it gets better, I won't tell you the cost You won't believe me if I told you how many friends that I lost But fuck these niggas anyway, the rule one show me love So it's only right I take this time to big up my cuz He told me gay or straight your blood, so I don't give a fuck And if these niggas try to reach, then someone get in touch I love you scats and that is real, the realest nigga I know you get me straight and now I'm low, you understand what they don't Used to care too much about what others would think Until I realised that these niggas ain't doing me shit They ain't defend my name when niggas try taking a piss They saying black's a faggot mad like we're born for the switch Like really as if we wasn't both on the strip Man these niggas are pricks, they demolished my bridge And what hurts the most is that I knew these niggas from kids There's nothing left where I live, just fuck niggas and pigs But I ain't never heard nobody say this shit to my face They're just talking my name, but I don't care what they say Because I love who I am, I'm trying to open the gates And show the world that it don't matter if you're gay or straight Cause love is love, and real is real I used to hold it back, but fuck it, this is how I feel Catch me jogging, banging Drago, I'm behind the wheel Used to be bare niggas out, now I don't see them still Niggas keep it tough, but they don't keep it real I'm running out of luck, I really need a meal And now I'm in my feelings, I think I need a sec They keep saying I'm a blow, it ain't happen yet It better happen soon I'm coming through, finding new ways to put my feelings into tunes I lost myself again, I lost myself, I ain't coming back Why they do me like that? Man, I thought it was gang And if I came out to the world, they would do have my back But fuck me, I was wrong, they didn't have me for jack Instead they switched on man, that we ain't fucking with blacks My day one nigga saying, he ain't like me for day Well what can I say, I kinda knew anyway They didn't like me from the start, this one because I am gay No love lost, but it still hurts And they still hit me up, these niggas ain't low you can't rebuild bridges that have been burnt Say this one time, I ain't gonna say this again I don't fuck with these niggas, we are no longer friends So roll me a spliff, career art with a pen I got so much to give, and all I need is a chance But all they hear is I'm gay, they ain't hearing I'm hard They ain't clocking my bars, or let me go from the start Little nigga grew up round drug dealers and crime We used to stay out at night, robbing niggas with knives We never got to be kids, cause we was building up lines Nearly all live in jail, and nobody will write we just charge it to the game, cause it goes with the life. Yeah. See, we just charge it to the game, cause it. Yeah. There's a lot of homophobes in the world, but if you want to talk about a racial class that ain't down with the down low, and that's why Oprah did a show. Yeah, it's African Americans. Just throwing it out there. Not an expert, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express. Then from Pink News, world-famous London bookshop Gaze the World has been attacked yet again. I'm sure this is just so triggering. Sunday morning, Gaze the World manager Jim McSweeney reported that he had a message informing him the glass in the shop's front store had been smashed. I'm assuming deliberate rather than storm, which hasn't hit yet. The front door has now been boarded up, and I'll go in and check it out and clean up. The bookshop is open as usual from 1 p.m. today, not feeling particularly de despondent as it's a great privilege to work a gaze the world. And I'm not letting some homophobic prick get me down. So, there. You later confirmed that the incident was a break-in, not a hate crime, and that police had arrested the suspects. Kind of like every other gay crime we talk about. That's what it ends up being. Because half the shit's fucking Jesse Smollett. It's just fucking bullshit. 
Then, as said in the first segment, our A of this podcast, RuPaul was on SNL. SNL still hasn't figured out the ratings are in the shit tank because they're just so far removed from funny, but also that not everybody's down with their liberal shit. So they bring RuPaul on, and he talks about his grandma's panties. Who the fuck says that? Ladies and gentlemen, RuPaul! which is short for RuPaul's Drag Race. Now, for anyone who's not familiar with my show, first of all, how dare you? And second of all, let me break it down for you in terms you can understand, okay? So our girls gag us with their eleganza, death drop for the children, and slay the house down boots. Make sense? Most of you are probably surprised to see me out of drag, but trust, I am wearing my grandmother's panties for good luck, you know. You know, I always say you're born naked and the rest is drag, so whatever you put on after you get out of the shower, baby, that's your drag. Like, ma'am, you're in drag, and uh, sir, you're in drag, and, and even you, sir, you're in drag. <laughs> You know, I moved to New York City in the 1980s with a pair of high heels and a dream. Back then, New York was full of drugs, streetwalkers, and seedy nightclubs. But it wasn't all good. <laughs> now, I actually, I wanted to tell you guys some, of, some stories of my experiences as a drag queen in the East Village. But the producer said, oh, no, you better don't. <laughs> So, guys, here's an edited version of what they let me say, okay? Yonkers. <laughs> Corrections officer. House of pancakes. Feet. <laughs> so you guys can just fill in the blanks and... True story, true story. Now, I've been in the business for a really long time. Had lots of ups and downs. And there are three things I that I always get me through everything, right? Number one, get the money up front. Number two, if they ain't paying your bills, pay them no mind. And finally, don't take life too seriously. I mean, there are things I take seriously. I take kindness seriously. I take love seriously. But all the rest, baby, just have fun. And if you follow your heart and dare to be different and use all the colors in the crayon box, who knows where you'll end up. If you're lucky, you just might find yourself hosting Saturday Night Live. And of course, um, as I said, our This Is America is going to be our Oscars coverage. That fucking weirdo that they think is okay to send to frickin' Sesame Street, Billy Porter, which I don't even know his sexuality, but his tuxedo top skirt thing is just really lame. I don't know why. I mean, it was an instant Twitter moment. And we're talking fucking instantly. 
I don't understand why this is a thing, but we got to have it. A senator from Arkansas wants to pull his funding. He's so pissed off. And that came from his constituents, not from some Christian dogma, because they were like, what the fuck? Well, this weirdo decided to pull out a gay State of the Union? Yeah, it, it was a thing. My fellow Americans, my name is Billy Porter. I'm an activist and a proud member of the LGBTQ community. And it is my privilege to join you today. This evening, President Trump will be addressing a joint session of Congress, the Supreme Court, his cabinet, and the world. I'm here with Logo to offer up the LGBTQ state of our union, to reflect on the past year, and to look forward to the year ahead. Last year, I told you that the state of our union was strong. And while it certainly has been battered, our union is far from broken. Now, in 2020, our responsibility as citizens has never been more evident. Our nation is facing one of the biggest crises of my lifetime. But this year, you and I have the chance to course correct. So far, our nation has survived the first term of Donald Trump. But who's to say what another term would do to this country, to democracy, and truly to the entire world? Donald J. Trump has painted himself as a friend of the LGBTQ community while revealing his true colors at every malicious turn. His malice has been demonstrated in banning transgender service members with a tweet, as he did in July of 2017. Last May, he expanded the so-called conscience rule that would allow healthcare workers to discriminate against queer people. And he gutted protections for federally funded homeless shelters for trans people. And his disdain for our rights has been demonstrated up and down the federal benches he's packed with anti-LGBTQ judges whose influence will be felt long after Trump has left office. For some of us, each day under this administration is a matter of life and death. Last November, the FBI reported that hate crime violence has hit a 16-year high. With more than 25 innocent people murdered, 2019 was the deadliest year on record for transgender Americans. Just on New Year's Day, on the very first day of the year, Dustin Parker became the first transgender homicide victim of 2020. This heinous violence against trans people, which disproportionately affects trans women of color, is nothing short of an epidemic. We must confront it as a community and as a country, and we must elect officials who recognize it for the crisis it is. But let's not get it twisted. Queer rights are far from the only rights under attack. From the erosion of the truth to the normalization of white supremacy, to the assault on women's reproductive freedom, from the dangerous othering of immigrants and people of color, to the inhumane treatment of migrants at the border, to the rampant injustices of our criminal justice system, from denying the very existence of climate change, to the frustrating and incredibly disappointing inaction on gun control. The fate of the entire country 
is in the balance. I know it sounds dramatic, but if now is not the time for drama, child when is. Around the world, our LGBTQ siblings have endured heartbreaking setbacks and celebrated triumphant victories. In Chechnya, the state-sponsored crackdown on LGBTQ people continues unabated as the U.S. turns a blind eye to refugees seeking asylum from the purge. But in Brunei, an international outcry led the nation to drop a planned Sharia law, allowing death by stoning as punishment for gay sex. Even as Brazil elected its proudly homophobic president, Jair Bolsonaro, its Supreme Court criminalized homophobia and transphobia. Kenya may have upheld its ban on gay sex, but Angola, Taiwan, Ecuador, and Northern Ireland have legalized marriage equality. I've been so proud to see the wave of everyday citizens protesting in the streets, engaging with their local governments, running for office, and speaking out in hopes of righting the wrongs occurring all around them. The 2018 election reminded us of the power of the ballot box. But every day I'm reminded of the resilience of the human spirit. Whether it's Utah becoming the 19th state to ban conversion therapy, legendary upcoming children like Greta Thunberg leading the fight against climate change, New Jersey joining California in teaching LGBTQ history in public schools, Virginia's historic ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment, or the rise of potentially the first openly gay Democratic candidate for president. We are witnessing true progress. Groundbreaking works of art, theater, and literature from queer creative minds and increasingly rich and diverse representation on television and in film proves that even in the darkest moments, humanity will find the light and shine bright. The category is living our best lives on and off screen. Every act of kindness is a blow against cruelty. Every act of empathy is a blow against bigotry. Every act of courage is a blow against cowardly self-interest. And every act of love is a blow against hate. We may have a tough fight against us, but I know we can win it. We have no other choice but to win it. Remember that we have far more that connects us than sets us apart. That we are all responsible for the country and the world in which we want to live. And therefore, we are all responsible for each other. So, love one another, take care of one another, and let's secure the future for those who will inherit it. In the words of the great James Baldwin, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Let's face the challenges of this new year and this new decade together. Thank you. May God bless the LGBTQ community and may God bless the United States of America. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a thing. What the fuck? Then there 
there was this that got on. I don't remember. It was the Advocate, the Gay Blade, one of these things. And I'm really surprised that this is, once again, one of those moments that I, I just sum up the entire left, the media, is totally full of shit. I mean, they're so fucking full of shit. Because if this was a conservative... It would be non-stop. It would be a Twitter moment. Oh my God, it would be huge. This is from 2015, and this is Mike Bloomberg. The, the world is more complex than ever before. It is more dangerous than ever before because of technology and weapons and that sort of thing and free travel and that sort of thing. But the solution to our problems is more open borders, not closed borders. The solution to our problem is to improve education, not to try to penalize people because they are successful. If you don't have successful people, you're never going to have the wherewithal to support, to help those who are not. We've tried socialism. It doesn't work. And I'll leave you with a thought. There was a guy, Bernie Sanders, who would have beaten Donald Trump. The polls show he would have walked away with it. But Hillary Clinton got the nomination for a variety of reasons. What did Donald Trump stand for? He stood for something he called it democratic socialism. And the young people, I don't mean to knock young people, I wish I was one again, but young people listened to Donald Trump, uh, to uh, Bernie Sanders, and they said, yeah, democratic, that's good. Socialism, yeah, that's that social media stuff. Because our kids no longer learn civics in school. They no longer study Western history. They no longer read Western literature. We are trying to change and dumb down the system. And if you don't know what happened in the past, you're going to have to relive it. It's unfortunate, but true. And we are, I think it's very dangerous, the world we're going into. You see a, the, both the left and the right coming up here. And the middle is getting, unfortunately, not listened to anymore. And it's the extremists that are going to shape the political culture if we're not careful going forward. And we've had extremism before, particularly on this continent. It didn't work out very well. In this, he said, uh, October, the university, uh, sorry, I'm on the wrong fucking page. I just fucked that all up. Sorry. You know, I'll say, our pre- okay, well, this is personal identifiers. Okay, here it goes. Um, the idea of transgender women using bathrooms and other facilities with underage girls with the implication that trans women will molest children has been one of the most consistently used attack on transgender rights by the religious right. He then imagined a conversation between a hypothetical Oxford scholar and a moron. I mean, they just look at you and they say, what on earth are you talking about? And you say, well, this person identifies his or her gender as different than what they're on the birth certificate. And they say, what do you mean? You're either born this or you're born that. Bloomberg didn't stick with the birth certificate as the standard determining one's gender. He proceeded to say it depends on what prison guards see when you drop your trousers. You know, I will say in our prison systems in New York City, we have to have a policy that when you walk in, you know, drop your trousers, you go this way, you go that way. That's it, he said. Adding that the prison is a practical case of whether you have a make a decision, implying that there's no way to tell what someone's gender identity is other than examining genitalia. That's how he ran it. And it seems like a gotcha moment. But it would be for a conservative. 
if you ran it based off genitalia, well, that's in violation of everything the left is pushing in the media right now, that it has dick to do with genitalia, and it has to do with my fucking feelings. Deep inside, this fat, bald body is a woman trying to break out, so I'm a woman. Or my Jeep, because I bogarted from my brother. On the front grill, I identify as a Prius. That's what you say. So if he was running prison systems saying the opposite, well, we got a fucking problem, Batman. That's not good. Not good at all. Let's go to everything is racist. It's a student clip. They sound just like CNN. Too many white people. Everything is racist. I'm Eduardo Norette with Campus Reform. Today we're at American University. With criticisms of the Oscar nominees being too white and too male, we're asking students if they think that's a problem and why. All right, so another year of the Oscars, another year of criticisms of the Oscars being too white and too male, people saying that the nominees do not represent the type of actors out there or even the country. Do you think that's a problem? And if so, why? Absolutely. I think there should have been more diverse thing. I mean, this has been a problem with the Oscars for what, like, ever now? Yeah, I definitely think there's a problem. I feel like we, um, as a Latina woman, I definitely want to see more representation in the entertainment. Um, I do think it's a problem because it's not reflective of our actual population. Racial representation is pretty pathetic right now. Um, I would agree that that is a problem, mainly just because it's been predominantly white for such a long time and we need more representation. We have seen that there's a lot of issues with representation. We all need to show ourselves a little bit more and create more diversity and inclusion. I don't think it reflects society well, and I feel like there's a lot more than just white men doing important things. I don't even know who was nominated because I can't think of any white men who really stand out, but... If you're qualified to to be nominated for an award, if if you've made a significant contribution to the arts or whatever, then you should be nominated. I think we shouldn't really necessarily take into consideration too much the race or gender of specific nominees. To a certain extent, I think it is, but I, I think the bigger the bigger aspect should be if it's on merit. Qualifications and the quality of the work should be the priority, as opposed to you know your level of melanin or chromosomes or whatever. So if the if the white actors and if the male actors deserve the Oscar nominations, then they should be receiving them. But I, like same goes for any other actor of color too what do you think lack of diversity shows and represents more broadly speaking like what type of issue do you think maybe it speaks to deeper problems that may exist i've never really like lived in an area or a situation where like white men aren't the just like dominant or like you know overwhelming majority i think that it's important to get like a multitude of perspectives and um different ways of looking at issues and i feel like an all-white is not um, indicative of society. We're uh, like the social justice generations and we are starting to become really vocal and aware of all of these issues. So at what point does too many white 
people in these positions are nominated or maybe in broader society at what point is too white a problem you can definitely see like if you look around you in your daily life clearly just america is is not entirely white but if that's the only people that you're seeing kind of in these positions of power and or respect um and that does not compare kind of accurately to the demographics around you in your daily life then you have to stop and consider like why is this this way why are these power structures this way and what is the threshold for you on campuses when it becomes too white and then too problematic um i think that personally the majority of my professors are uh white men if the only people in power in a lot of places like entertainment and government and things like that are mostly white men then you're not they're going to make decisions in their interests and whether consciously or unconsciously will have a bias towards picking other white men the growing there's growing uh, minority hispanic communities growing large the african american community is obviously very big here the asian community is getting bigger so there should be equal there should be like representation for them in our highest places do you feel like your college experience has been too white too male influenced the faculty should be a little bit more inclusive i feel like there's a lot of like white males as you said uh, i tend to be the only um latina in the class or even women of color in the class i heard something a while back about like possibly pushing for like an all black like section of student housing uh i think something like that's a good idea yeah, i know that a lot of students have been making calls for diversity but i also see professors in classes talking about it um but i think that asking uh the students of color their opinions on like what would make them feel comfortable is a good place to be at where in your campus life do you hear of an effort for a bigger push for diversity and inclusion I hear it a lot from administrators and professors but I think it comes better from professors. I hear it pushed all the time. I think it's a result of the changing demographics of the country. You know, as each generation progresses, it gets more and more diverse in terms of of racial identity. You have a declining birth rates among white Americans and increased immigration, which I think is a, is a great thing. If you're going to remove racism, everything should be on merit, not because of your skin color that you got a you got a prize for something. My God, these people are fucking boom bats. Vanderbilt to students, separate feelings from facts to recognize unconscious bias. <laughs> They're using what we say to them. Vanderbilt defines unconscious bias as prejudice or unsupported judgment in favor or against one thing, person, or group as compared to another in a way that is usually considered unfair. They're holding workshops right down the war road. I'm not going to read anymore. Where misplaced loyalty and massage noir collide on Snoop, Cosby, and why protecting black women always seems to be the last priority. Gail King is getting crushed. Uh, respect the family and back off, bitch, the rapper said. Before we come get you, unsurprisingly, most engaged in the online conversation seem disturbed by the vitriol and suggest threat of violence Snoop spooed at King. And it's a huge black-on-black crime. I mean, it's just huge. It's all over the place. It's on Twitter. He told her to fuck off because Gail King did what that lady did who got fucking, you know, suspended or fired for, um, bringing up Kobe was a racist. I mean, he was. He was a rapist. There it is. He bought a ring. We all remember it. These are all from um, Darut, a subsidiary of the National Broadcasting Company. CEO loses his cool and then his job after calling an Uber driver the N-word. 
The guy said he said it. The guy said he didn't say it. CNN was on the case. Clark has never experienced anything like that, he said, and he didn't immediately know much about his would-be passenger. He continued driving for the rideshare company that weekend, he said, because he wanted the business. We had a big PGA tournament up at Phoenix. I didn't want to miss that. But the exchange stayed on Clark's mind. He decided on Sunday to try to find out more about the rider. This man probably does something big in society, employs people of color. There's just no way somebody with a business should be acting that way, he confirmed. So he went out and doxed him with the help of CNN and another local channel, and he got the motherfucker fired for saying the N-word that the guy said that he didn't say. So, yeah. yeah. What are you going to do? Black stories have power. Barnes & Noble tries to virtue signal and gets dick slapped. That's my headline, the real one. Black stories have power. Barnes & Noble suspends plans to publish diverse edition after backlash. In this week's episode of Books and Blackface, they actually wrote this, the book retailer Barnes & Noble decided to suspend a controversial diverse edition series that was supposed to launch Wednesday in honor of Black History Month. The series, spearheaded by Chain's flagship store on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, was planned re-release a beloved classic with newer covers featuring black characters instead of white faces, a move many critics, including the Roots' Michael Harriet, labeled as Black Face, even though it's a book. Why couldn't BNN simply showcase the works of black authors already deemed classic? Why shouldn't it, couldn't it publish and champion the works of new black writers? The criticism Riley gave the behemoth bookstore pause their response to the woke scolds. We acknowledge the voices who have expressed concern about the diverse in, uh, edition project and have decided to suspend the initiative. Diverse Edition presented new covers of classic books through a series of limited edition jackets designed by artists hailing from different ethnicities and backgrounds. The covers are not substitutes for black voices, writers of color whose work and voices deserve to be heard. The bookseller who championed this initiative did so convinced it would help drive engagement with these classic titles. It was a project inspired by our work with schools and was created in part to raise awareness by black people. For some, however, the apology was too little too late. Personally, I'm tired and we're just one week into Black History Month. I'm tired of disrespected being packaged as praise, of black faces being hailed as greatness. Of course, I shouldn't expect black folks to be treated right for one month during the year when blackness is disrespected the other 11 minutes, months of the year. But I had hope. A somewhat bright moment in the controversy is that Penguin Random House, the publishing house, the Dress the Classic Book says it will donate up to $10,000 to a black organization. Plus, the publisher promises to give $1 every time people tweet the hashtag, Black Stories Have Power. So that's something, kind of, sort of, I guess. But it's nothing compared to what would have been if somebody, anybody, would have given this initiative some proper TLC. Can't. Can never be woke enough. You can never be right. Kimberly Strassel brings us to our next thing. It ain't helping her. We're going to see right after it. Elizabeth Warren says we need race-conscious laws. Think about that. Isn't that what we spent so long trying to make sure we didn't have? We recall something about being judged by the content of our character versus the color of our skin. Something like that. She continued just to expand this thought. Can anyone imagine the meltdown of that phrase came out of a Republican mouth? Everybody on the tweet thread said we did. It was called Jim Crow. Done by Democrats. But she said it. No calls of racism. None. None at all. 
Because here is The Roots Black Power Rankings Week 28. It's that time of year again when we get a little sad. Football's over. I was right. The team with the black quarterback won. Our favorite shows are coming to an end. Power season finale Sunday, but I feel like anything other than Tariq ending up in jail is a downer. And we're nearing the end of power rankings. If we stay at the beginning of the year, the root presidential black power rankings will end in the South Carolina primary, which means we only have three more weeks before no one out there is really paying any weekly attention to what black people, you know, the most important voting block for one of the two functional political parties in America. Only because that's mostly black people. So, this goes on to hate white people and talk, and we'll just get to the money line. Um, Senator Elizabeth Warren is number one. She wins the top spot this week by default because she really didn't do anything great, but perhaps she just made the fewest fatal errors. She came in third in Iowa, which amounts to nothing since the process went about as well as a third world election with results that are just as credible. She moved up a bit nationally, but it's still about to get dog walked in New Hampshire by all accounts, despite the state being her backyard. Warren's high point this week, not being completely tone deaf on race after essentially walk out by her people of color in Nevada. She actually took responsibility. <laughs> a Moses staff claimed they would still caucus for her. They just wouldn't work for the campaign. Hooray. So she took responsibility by doing what they like. America's racist. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Number two, Andrew Yang, which surprised me. It did. Yang drops one spot this week after not only failing to really make any headway in Iowa, but also going full Nemo Brown on his campaign staff after his before, poor performance. Mike Bloomberg, number three. I'm not going to read all this shit. Uh, four, I got it buried, Senator Bernie Sanders. What can you say about Bernie Sanders that already has been said, then attacked, then doxxed by his staffers, then explained by common sense people, then attacked again? Five, Joe Biden. Six, Pete Buttlake, the gay candidate. Is the black population of South Bend celebrating Mayor Pete's narrow victory in the state that looks like South Dakota than South Bend? No. Then why should black folks get on board? Lenny McAllister asked, Mayor Pete's victory in Iowa shows that white America isn't serious about beating Donald Trump. Literally, as I was typing this power ranking, I got a text from middle-aged black colleagues saying, essentially, if it's not Biden, I'm going for Bloomberg. Pete can't win. With Angela Rye this week, Pete wasn't able to name two black women. I don't care how they sugarcoat it. It's because he's gay. That's why. Seven, Deval Patrick, a black man. Eight, Tom Steyer. Nine, Klobuchar. Tulsi Gabbard, a black woman. Everything we're told is the most important fucking shit we have. We need to support black women even when they're men pretending to be women. That's what we're supposed to be doing. (laughs) Tulsi Gabbard's number 10. I got nothing and neither does she. That's what they say. Because she isn't down with the cause. 
I mean, I, I could almost see myself voting for Tulsi Gabbard. I don't agree with all her shit, but at least she isn't down with killing babies just because. What the fuck? To climate change, and all I can say is fucking hand solo. Okay. Okay. How dare you? It's not all about energy. It's about raising awareness for climate change in schools and all over Charlotte. Because here's the thing. Changes can be made. This is the first step to radical action, and we need it to happen. How dare you? You're, you, you know, you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. So we have to get rid of the babies. That's a big problem. To stopping having babies at night and night. We need to eat the babies. How dare you? Our position in the world is tenuous because of our lack of moral leadership, basically. I, I certainly applaud what uh, uh, Greta did. Is inspired by and what and the the um, her activism, uh, her role uh, in representing the interests of young people, and I admire her uh, uh, her courage and her fortitude. And um, also admire her uh, capacity to express herself. Science is being um, ridiculed by by people in ideological uh, campgrounds. They are they are refusing the wisdom, the discipline of science in favor of uh, a political point of view. And uh, that has to stop. And the young, I believe young people throughout the world uh, know that it has to stop and are uh, capable and willing to make the sacrifices uh, to make that happen. So I applaud young people. I applaud critics part in the leadership of young people. And I consider the, the threat of the natural world is the single biggest uh, threat to humanity. What the fuck, dude? Shut up. Bernie Sanders, this is nothing short of a worldwide emergency. We do not have any time to waste. We need the Green New Deal and turn everybody to socialists, because I am a socialist. Ilian Omar, I don't know if my children will have a planet to live in in 20 years. If that doesn't scare the, scare the hell out of you, I don't know what will. I don't know if my children will have a planet to live in 20 years. I'm pretty sure even the most apocalyptic worst case scenario do not project planet combustion in 2040. They're so out of control. 
Wind turbines not only shredding birds, but are piling up in landfills. As it turns out, wind energy may not be as eco-friendly as environmentalists let on. Not only are the 24-7 bird-killing machines, they're also now piling up in landfills. The municipal landfill in Caspar, Wyoming, is the final resting place of 870 blades, whose days make renewable energy have come to the end. The severed fragments look like bleached whale bones nestled against one another, reports Bloomberg Green. Not a conservative group. Green. Even the disposing of turbine blades expel tremendous energy, being that they have to be hauled away and must be sawed through with a diamond-encrusted industrial saw to create three-piece small enough to be strapped to a tractor trailer. Tens of thousands of aging blades are coming down from steel towers around the world, and most have nowhere to go but landfills. In the U.S. alone, 800,000 will be removed in each of the next four years. Europe, which has been dealing with a bigger problem, has about 3,800 coming down. What do you do with them? I mean, seriously, what do you do with them? Where are you going to put them? Then I went to a website that was online pushing some more hysterics. And it was called Climate Central. This is why this doesn't break through to normals or regular folks. The hayseeds you you guys don't like. 2020 Groundhog Day trends. That everything's worse every Groundhog Day. Pouring it on how climate change intensifies heavy rain events. Really? I thought it was El Nino and El Nina. Super Bowl warming NFL cities and sea level rise flood risk for the Super Bowls not to exist. So when I went to that one and clicked on the Green Bay Packers, they said since 1970, the daily high has gone up 3.5 degrees. When I went to the Weather Channel and searched it, it wasn't 3.5 degrees. They just make shit up. They just make it up. They don't even have to have facts. They just can say whatever they want, like Gillian Omar. We're not going to be able to have a Super Bowl because we're going to be underwater because there's not going to be a planet in 20 years, so why do we fucking care about all your social justice bullshit if we're all going to be dead? Why is it important to stop Israel from occupying Palestine, as you say, if there's not going to be a world in 20 years? That seems like a very small problem. All this is pretty small. Getting Trump and impeachment, that doesn't seem that important. If we're all going to die in 8 years, 10 years, 20 years, fuck, every time we turn around, it's a new goddamn year. Who the fuck knows? But the other problem goes back to our debate coverage, and it's pretty much summed up by this tweet. This This is a real tweet. Karen Lewis Hermes for Vice. Vice, the climate movement is overwhelmingly white, so I walked away. She's a Filipino German. Whenever I would question the whiteness of these spaces and how strategies didn't take race in account, I'd be met with uncomfortable silence. The last time at a nationwide movement building workshop last April, I was asked, well then, why are you even here? So I decided not to be there anymore. 
after four years of helping organize direct action, speeches, workshop, and countless video calls, I started hiding and declining requests. I was burned out. Anti-racism and anti-capitalism need to be made part of the organizing. If green policies fail to consider anti-racism and migrant rights, how is any person of color supposed to feel voting for them or organizing in the same space? <laughs> Nobody's buying this. We know what you're doing. It's just intersectionality to fucking throw it all in a pile. It's what you do with gay shit because it's a black dude in a dress. It's with everything. It's how you guys think you can win by connecting the dots between all your causes. But then you have mansplaining and this, and I got more black people than you. I mean, Jesus Christ. It kind of makes binders full of women look pretty small right now. Pretty small. Responses to this is a cisgendered hetero white man. I'm doing my part to not join the climate movement. One person, every character that they could use. Ha, 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 ha. Thank you for making my day. This is so stupid, it's almost unbelievable. Vice is overwhelmingly shite. So I walk away. (laughs) And then the money shot before we go into liberal shit. Richard Myers. U.S. carbon dioxide emission hit a 27-year low last year and are projected to continue to decline the result of increased use of natural gas, renewables, and energy efficiency. The entire, we're not deniers, but we don't think we're all going to die in eight years. Ah, but withdrawing from Paris makes us bad guys. It's a very reformed theology here. Justification is not through acts, but faith alone. And it just sums it up. So, two are liberal shit. You're the next contestant on Liberal Shit. Recent weeks, trolling Senator Elizabeth Warren as a snake, and in post after post, labeling Mayor Pete Buttigieg a rat. Two victims of this tell CNN they were so afraid of the online attacks they faced they don't even want us to describe the circumstances for fear it would start up again. They both just questioned the politics of Bernie Sanders in a public setting, and their personal lives were exposed and attacked. The left is being online bullied. Yeah, they had the balls to do that. CNN online bullying by Bernie supporters was mercilessly mocked by many of those supporters and other critics for being naive and unfair. On Thursday, the network aired a piece of Drew Griffin investigated reporter that looked at Sanders fans' online behavior and quoted several people who were targeted for comment they made that were critical of the candidate. To emphasize Griffin's reporting, CNN re-aired the segment two more times in the hour before the latest Democratic debate on Friday night, but Griffin's decision to cite random Twitter accounts with minuscule followings, example of Sanders stands wrathful online reputation earned strong blowback. Green, Glenn Greenwald 
Such little babies, breaking, the internet is mean, pretending it's some sort of pathological unique to Sanders supporters, is, and always has been, calculated to seed on part of coddled elites who expect constant deference and are drowning in entitlement syndrome. Tim Chirac just watched a segment at the gym and almost ripped the TV off the stand, but then figured it would be better to put in my 30 minutes on the treadmill and regain my strength for the long haul. Both CNN and MSNBC are clearly out to undermine Sanders. Can someone please do comparative analysis of how many attack a Bernie bro pieces we've gotten in the major media? It's probably four to one. Je- Jeffrey Venture singling out Bernie bros by CNN pre-debate is a joke. It happens across the board and per capita percentage is exasperated by baseless MSM attacks and more percentage supporting Bernie. They just went after David Sirota. If they went, want things to settle down, stop the desperate attack. If you're worried about Bernie bros online, get the fuck out of politics. <laughs> it was fucking good. Every time I say that, load and reload our amazing Metallica albums, and people showed the segment, Lobbyist Plant Disgusting, what it's like to have dirt for brains, blow me, coward, shut the fuck up, you are swine. Come on, folks. The whole left bullies everybody. Everybody. It's not Bernie bros. It's the left. You even got it so good that you're getting the certain people can respond to me only feature that you asked for. So get the fuck out of here. Arizona lawmaker, Me Too hero, accused of sexual harassment. Republican State Senator Michael Urgent Rita had become a state Me Too darling when she accused former State Representative John Shooter of sexual harassment. Urgena Rita was one of several women who made the allegation against Shooter, which eventually did, led to his expulsion. Now Ugenti Rita, face, hyphen name douchebag, faces her own Me Too allegation from a lobbyist who said the state senator and her now husband, Brian Townsend, sexually harassed her while the politician was still an Arizona House representative. Yeah. Daily Caller covered that. I'm surprised it's not national news because she's a Republican. Women were charged with making false rape accusations. The charges were dismissed. It keeps happening. I don't understand why. If you a ruined person's life, you should suffer some consequences. A war over sex work is raging inside the nation's biggest feminist group. Now. Basically, it is what we're seeing in mass between the left. Young kids wanting to push everything to socialism for the main institution, climate change and gay rights. Older people still wanting to stay the true liberal stuff. Well, in this case, it's the young generation pushing for protecting sex workers and the old generation going, no, fuck that. That, that leads to fucking Sex trafficking, it's all bad. We don't want to support that. Nor do we want to support women that would do that and belittle themselves. So, it's it's a interesting article. It's huge. I'm not going to read it. Pornography and sex trafficking are completely interwoven. 
This is another one by some feminist that say because we have porn sites, and she specifically goes after Pornhub, just goes crazy on it. Uh, Pornhub boasts 42 million visits in its site during 2019, 39 billion searches performed site-wide, an average of 115 million visits per day, and 6.83 million new videos. And because of this, she's saying there is a sex trade. That's her thought. Um... 93% of boys and 62% of girls are exposed to pornography during their youth, according to a study. And so her thing to fix sex trafficking is to outlaw porn. And this is like the left becoming the right. That's why I covered it. I, I don't know enough to say, hey, is that true? Does it feed it? Um, it used to be it fed rape fantasy. And thus more rapes, and then it was proven that this stopped rapes. So, I mean, I'm not saying pornography is good for a society, but I also say, you look kind of funny spitting that it's Pornhub for why Bill Clinton and company wanted to hang out with Jeffrey Epstein and have sex with little girls. I, I just think you look kind of foolish. This one is total liberal shit, because remember... They're all supposed to be dead. Dead. They're not supposed to be alive. School district decided to conduct a threat assessment on a young girl with Down syndrome. The mother of a six-year-old with Down syndrome says the Treffin Eastwood School District mishandled an incident involving her daughter after she pretended to shoot her teacher with her finger. Maybe Gaines says six-year-old Margot, a student at Valley Forge Elementary School, now has a police report on file. In November, Margot became frustrated and made a gesture that sparked a disciplinary investigation. They got this phone call and I was fine with everything up until calling the police, Gaines says. And I said, you absolutely do not have to call the police. You know this is ridiculous. Even though police sources confirmed it's a confidential record, Gaines fears potential ramification for her daughter. My daughter got frustrated and pointed her finger at the teacher. I shoot you. At that point, they went to the principal's office and it was quickly assessed that she didn't even really know what she was saying. Gaines said it was a severe overreaction by a school district. They were asking her questions and she was saying, oh, I shoot mommy. I shoot my brother. Did you mean to hurt your teacher? And she said no, but they still called the cops. The kid is mentally impaired. But that's that crazy, you make a Pop-Tart gun, we got to kick you out of school craziness that the left does. They just make no fucking sense. Then, right down the goop stuff we just covered with candles smell like JJ Politico. Is America ready for a frank discussion about skin care? Probably so expect for the fact that you can see a photo of Elizabeth Warren next to the headline. So it's really a story, or is it a skin care ad disguised? Well, it actually turned out to be a real news story, but one that comes off as vapid as any skincare promotion. The Sunday skin care, skin care story by Joanne Waves reveals how Cosmopolitan magazine hooked the Democratic presidential candidates into answering the all-important skin care questions. As the 2020 presidential campaign approached, the editor Cosmo gathered to discuss how to cover the race, delivering political news in a manner befitting their audience of millennial and Gen Z women. They hatched an ambitious plan. From the tufted velvet chair atop an animal print rug, Pels grilled the candidate on issues that 
had bubbled to the top of reader surveys from healthcare to college debt to equal pay, and at the very end, a standard time to ask light personal questions that knock politicians off the talking points. What is your skincare routine? My God, you fucking people are so fucking shallow. I just, wow. Then we have the media and their abortion. Jesus Christ, man. Cuomo, don't even say you're religious. You know what, Scott? You and the people in your party who are in Congress do that every time. And that's why he says I could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and my supporters wouldn't leave. How does that make you feel about somebody as a person of faith, that this president mocks people who use their faith to guide their behavior? And so if you're a Christian... If you're a conservative who believes in those values and your choices are Donald Trump, who sometimes says things you don't like and you wouldn't do it that way, versus rule by a party that would allow abortion on demand and install federal judges who would allow it, this is no choice at all. You go with you go with your gut on but policy you know that's and you a go lie, with your right? faith and your morals on policy. It's not a lie. Right, Watch so you're going to be about faith and morals this and then you're going to lie. Said, I saw the said, clip he, to prepare for the segment, abortion. Scott. He did not say abortion on demand whenever you want it, wherever you want it. Let me ask you something. How do you reconcile? He did. How do you? I, this is why I just I wanted you to make. I am you, Chris he Cuomo. Didn't, Scott, and we both know it. And look, no, I'm not saying. Look, it's a lie to say that Pete Buttigieg or anybody in the Democratic Party who's running for president wants to have abortion whenever you want it at any time. Because Buttigieg says he is a Christian and understands his faith and its teaching, but he'll follow the law. But I just want to be clear. So the president could come out and say, "Hey, Jennings, you're a Christian. <laughs> you're an idiot to believe in that hocus pocus." But I'll give you your judges. Just give me your your vote you'd still vote for him right yes i would vote for a pro-life candidate for president over a yeah. pro-abortion candidate for president every day no let's every say he's day. not he's, he's not pro-life let's say he says i don't care about pro-life i think this is silly this is you religious nonsense people witchcraft basically but i'll give you the judges because i want your vote you'd be okay with it and i think that's fine just stop saying that your party makes faith paramount in the positions and their character counts don't say it anymore because you don't act on it well i think it goes right to the heart of um what has been the problem of democrat strategy and that is to say that they're going to go hard after voters um that they lost in 2016 um trying to go and cut into the republican base is not a good strategy what is a good strategy is to realize that what's gone is gone and to buckle down and get the people who have long been your base and that is black and brown voters that is newer voters young voters registering new folks ensuring that folks who have been disenfranchised and are returning citizens can vote but to try to go and turn trump voters who as we just saw in the last segment with your hypothetical ask to scott is highly problematic Mor morals be damned um that is not what drives um donald trump's voting base it is um, bigotry. It is fear. It is um, judges who have lifetime appointments that may be pro-life, but they want to kill off everyone else. Um, there are civil rights. Um, folks, they want to ensure the death penalty continues to exist. All of these other things that fly in the face of morality and what I believe is a social justice gospel, which is the one uh, for the God that I serve, who is also Jesus Christ. How many of your um, friends uh, out there, April Ryan, are, are feeling the suggestion? <laughs> uh, not zero goose egg. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, if there was a chance for that, 
The State of the Union really turned a lot of people off. Right. One, the main issue, and, and, and don't get me wrong, we never wish any ill on anyone who is sick or dying or has cancer. But for him in front of the nation to pander for black votes and then give Rush Limbaugh the highest medal a president can give, this big Rush Limbaugh is a bigot. Rush Limbaugh Absolutely. is racist. Rush Limbaugh was a birther. And for him to do that, and, and he could have given not only uh, gold stars to the Tuskegee Airmen, he could have also given him that 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 Presidential Medal of Freedom. Yeah. This president goes from Charlottesville to to s whole nations to giving the Medal of Freedom to the whole world to see to Rush Limbaugh. That is a big contradiction. That's hypocrisy. The black vote is too precious, and there is a lot to lose and a lot at stake. Man, I tell you what, you fucking people, you're fucking sick people. Decided to change up the podcast, and we're going to throw in the Oscar shit right now. So let's just do a a quick Oscar hit. It, You know, I really just don't understand. We have the worst flashback, the four worst political moments of the Oscars. I could read that, probably won't. Um, things that happened during the... Chris Rock correcting Steve Martin pronunciation of Cynthia Arviro's last name is good mood for the night. Cynthia Arviro, and I'm saying it wrong on purpose, is the only black Oscar. So that was like a big thing. But before I play the sound bites, I just want you to know, it's all bullshit. The whole thing is a gigantic pile of manufactured crap. This was leaked... Before the Oscars. And I, I can't tell you who found it. Or why it became, you know, it was held. It's kind of like one of those uh, election night things. That we're going to try to get somebody. So, you know, usually I would say, hey, that's pretty fucked up. But in this case, because it's Hollywood, I think it's fucking fantastic. Hollywood Awards speech is... Ghost written by Obama and Clinton speechwriters. So, like everything else, we find that Greta Thunberg is full of fucking shit. It's her daddy and some fucking bot who's saying everything for her. So is this. Hollywood Award acceptance speeches can be so political that sometimes you have to wonder, did they hire Obama speechwriters for this? What a crazy thought. According to one Hollywood outlet, however, this is precisely what happens nowadays. Just in time for the Oscars on Sunday, New York Magazine's pop culture site Vulture revealed that they're in fact Democrat speechwriters penning pithy and political thank yous for Hollywood stars as they accept their industry awards. Shameful, we know. But it makes so much sense, especially when Joker star Joaquin Phoenix went from painfully awkward and stuttering appeal on climate awareness at the Golden Glows to waxing confidently about diversity at the BAFTAs. Sure, it might be practice, but that Vulture indicates more and more Hollywood stars are getting ghostwriters, many of which are utilizing the revolving door from the DNC. Vulture's Chris Lee observed that Brad Pitt's acceptance speech upon winning the Screen Actor Guild Award uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which he's the lead-off. He was the first political person last night. It jokes so attuned to audience that there had been something going on. Lee couldn't confirm which company it was, but found that Pitt had been shopping around for ghostwriters. 
Lee wrote, but at least one outside speechwriter agency reached by Vulture that asked to remain anonymous confirms that Pitt's representatives contacted the organization to consult about engaging their services. Wow, really shatters the magic and realism, doesn't it? Not only did this revelation break the notion that Brad Pitt is the whole package, you know, good looks, acting, and charming, it becomes all the more depressing when Lee uncovers that many of the Hollywood speechwriters came from Obama and Hillary and Michael Bloomberg. And it's Hollywood. We weren't sure of it stoop any lower. Lee reported that a certain speechwriter and communication firm called Fenway Strategies was working with Hollywood stars. The kicker being that this firm was founded in 2013 by Tommy Vitor and John Favreau. Some of you might also recognize Favreau as the host of the far-left podcast Pod Save America or as a violent Twitter lefty. The same goes for Vitor. Great. The Obama machine stretches further than we thought. Lee spoke to Fenway Principal Sam Koppelman, another liberal hack, who was a former speechwriter for Michael Bloomberg and digital strategist for Hillary Clinton. Oh, and he's also wrote the little New York Times bestseller called Impeach, the case against Donald Trump. And I'm not going to read the rest of the article. It is just a bunch of lefties. None of it's true. It's not what they really feel. They just know if they say that, they can be cool and virtue signal to the masses. So from the intro music, which is about not enough black representation, to Brad Pitt, to a couple other wahoos, here's your Hollywood betters. Literally condescending. As they go back to their million dollar lifestyles styles that burn more carbon than I ever could dream of. Stop. Hi. Um God, I'm full of so much gratitude right now. Uh and I do not feel elevated above any of my fellow nominees or anyone in this room because we share the, the same love that the love of film and this form of expression has given me the most extraordinary life. Um, I don't know what I'd be without it. But I think the greatest gift that it's given me, and many of us in this room, is the opportunity to use our voice for the voiceless. I've been thinking a lot about some of the distressing issues that we are facing collectively. And I think at times we feel or we're made to feel that we champion different causes. But for me, I see commonality. I think whether we're talking about gender inequality or racism or queer rights or indigenous rights or animal rights, we're talking about the fight against injustice. We're talking about the fight against the belief that one nation, one people, one race, one gender or one species has the right to dominate, control, and use and exploit another with impunity. I think that we've become very disconnected from the natural world, and many of us, what we're guilty of is an egocentric worldview, the belief that we're the center of the universe, we go into the natural world and we plunder it for its resources. We feel entitled to artificially inseminate a cow. And when she gives birth, we steal her baby. Even though her cries of anguish are unmistakable. 
And then we take her milk that's intended for a calf and we put it in our coffee and our cereal. And I think we fear the idea of personal change because we think that we have to sacrifice something to give something up. But human beings at our best are so inventive and creative and ingenious. And I think that when we use love and compassion as our guiding principles, we can create, develop, and implement systems of change that are beneficial to all sentient beings and to the environment. Now, I've been... I've been a scoundrel in my life. I've been selfish. I've been cruel at times, hard to work with, and ungrateful. But so many of you in this room have given me a second chance. And I think that's when we're at our best, when, when we support each other. Not when we cancel each other out for past mistakes, but when we help each other to grow, when we educate each other, when we guide each other towards redemption. That is the best of humanity. I just, I want to, um, when he, when, when, when he was, when he was, when he was 17, my brother wrote this lyric. He said, run to the rescue with love and peace will follow. Thank you. This is the second Oscar for Brad Pitt, his first for acting. Thank you. This is incredible. Really incredible. Thank you to the Academy for this honor of honors. They told me I only have 45 seconds up here, which is 45 seconds more than the Senate gave John Bolton this week. I'm thinking maybe Quentin does a movie about it. In the end, the adults do the right thing. This really is about Quentin Jerome Tarantino. You are original. You are... Wow. Thank you. Well, even before that envelope got opened, just being in the presence, in the company of our sister and brother documentarians, who, who, risked, who risked their lives making stories, bringing stories to us, about hospitals being bombed in Syria, about Brazil, about Macedonia. We were so proud. We are inspired by you guys. Uh, our film is from Ohio and China. Go Buckeyes! And, um, sorry. And, but it really could be from anywhere that people put on a uniform, a punch clock, trying to make their families have a better life. Uh, working people have it harder and harder these days. And we believe that things will get better when workers of the world unite. Thank you, Academy. Thank you to everyone who trusted us to tell your story. Shishe Chao Wang. Thank you to our unstoppable crew, our beloved friends and family. 
Yi Chen Zhang, Mija Lee, our unstoppable editor, Lindsay Yutes, and to those big-hearted people at Netflix, Participant Media, Higher Ground Productions, and the tough, inventive, great people of Dayton, Ohio. This year's nominated documentaries took us out of our everyday lives and gave us a chance to walk in someone else's shoes. It wasn't always a comfortable walk, but it's a journey that we would have never taken or traveled otherwise. As a result, these films, four of which are directed or co-directed by women, have an impact not just for today, but will resonate for, with us for years to come. They're just garbage people. <laughs> Any way you sum it up, they're just garbage people. They talk all the stuff and they virtue signal, but they don't live any of it. They're jet set, got yachts. I mean, shut the fuck up. Nobody wants to watch this. I literally got a bunch of retweets because I tweeted, you know, I've never been able to get into this. Um, well, let me just read the real tweet because I was going to paraphrase my tweet, but here's my tweet. I was pretty proud of this because I just did it before I went to bed because I was, I was on, um, Twitter and of course everything was Oscar. So I just said, yeah, this sucks. Hashtag Oscars. Never watch this stuff. Yeah. They hate everything. I am vet Christian Southern, Southerner pro-life 2A, et cetera. But that aside, I just never thought of actors as idols, vets, disabled vets, Leo, firefighters, teachers, moms, single moms. Those are people to idolize and give awards to. And I truly believe that. I don't, I'm not making that up just because I want to sound cool or be a dick. It's just true. Those are heroes. These people are not heroes. They're not, they're the antithesis of heroes. They're coddled. They live a life you never, ever, ever ever would understand. I mean, they don't drive, cook. Come on. Why would you look up to that? I don't get it. So, This is America is the first time I'm going to play a soundbite that is going to be soundless. It's very short. And then I'm going to play it and articulate what you're seeing. And it is, it sums up progressivism and their failure to recognize the value of human life because they live in a country that allows them to live really good. But they walk around with the values of a third world country where they hack people to pieces because it means absolutely nothing. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. So you hear a common song, and now I'm going to play it and articulate what I'm seeing. Finding out my baby's gender today shows her 
posing, kind of nervous with her foot tapping in a car, smiling in a room, smiling on the room. It's uh, and she's back with her friends. This is a very normal white girl, long hair. She's opening up a piece of paper with a little Latino friend. It's uh, happy and excited with the word boarded. It's a boarded on a piece of paper. They really went through the time to make a gender reveal video for aborting a baby. That's that's what they did. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You fucking have to be kidding me. Girls probably 21 maybe. And that's what the left has wrought on a society of kids that think that's okay. Right there. That's it. And that's what we do. Aborted. I'm proud I aborted my baby. And they make a music video. So it inked out our second This Is America. You knew I had to play it. Here's Biden. Put on your thinking caps. I only saw Slate do an article on it. When could a conservative say this to a woman? Hey, my name is Madison, and I'm an econ student at Mercer University. And, oh, awesome. Um, so I'm going to be a little bit mean for a second, okay? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so you're arguably the candidate with the greatest advantage in this race. You've been the vice president. You weren't burdened down by the impeachment trials. So, or in the participation. So how do you explain the performance in Iowa, and why should the voters believe that you can win the national election? It's a good question. Number one, I was a Democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're, now you got to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. It was a little bit confusing in Iowa, number one. But let's assume it was all, everything was exactly right in Iowa. The idea that you come in with about half the, can, half the delegates that the leaders come in with in Iowa does not necessarily say how you're going to win Pennsylvania, how you're going to win Michigan, where, by the way, the, the uh, Black Caucus of the, the Michigan legislature just endorsed me in spite of all of this, where the unions have endorsed me in spite of all this, etc. You can't win. You can't win. You're a dog-faced liar. Now, understand, on Twitter, it rolled initially as Biden channels John Wayne. And liberals who know that he is their only fucking hope. He is Obi-Wan Kenobi on this motherfucker. He's the only one that can win against Trump because everybody else is so fucking extreme. They try to twist it as he was just channeling and being a joke. And then it backfired. When the woke scolds even go, what the fuck? You call the voter, a woman voter, a dog face liar? I had a 
tweet this week. And I'm only corresponding this not because I want to talk about Tony's tweets, all right? Not what I want to do. But I was going down, and there was something in my feed, and it basically um, was a Bernie supporter. So let me get to this. Um, it was replies to me. Let me find the fucking tweet. Sorry. I meant to have this... Um, there it is. I was replying to a gentleman who was talking to a woman. And he basically said, you suck cock. Conservative cock. He's deleted the tweet now. And I said, who says this to a woman? Wow. Classless. And politically left, right, all over the place. Liked my tweet. Because it became the top one on that thread. And yes, the lady was a conservative person, but she wasn't saying something bad. She was retweeting him like Christy Swanson has to do with all these people saying horrible things to him. And I just asked the question, who the fuck talks to a woman like that? And then you have the number one candidate. The candidate the media wants really bad. Saying to a woman, you're a dog-faced liar. I mean, it just sums up the left. I guess that's normal. And if you go on Twitter, it's normal approach. They are so stuck in blast mode to anybody that disagrees with them, because usually you can get away with it, because they're conservatives. They're bad people. Uh, no CNN article, New York Times article. There's not going to be an article saying, I can't believe you said this, or why would you say this to a woman for a conservative? It's just not going to happen. But it is going to happen when it's a conservative saying it to a female. It's just going to happen. It is, without fail, their go-to moment. What does this say about us when conservatives say this to women and blah, 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 blah. That, that's what we do. So they can just get away with it. They can say whatever they want to women and nobody's going to say anything to them because let's be honest. Twitter and the media, they just turn a blind eye to that kind of stuff when it's, when it's going to a conservative. They can't hurt the team. So, Twitter let it start going John Wayne. And they had a Twitter moment. John Wayne, Biden channels John Wayne. And then they went back and had to change it because it didn't go like that. People were like, what the fuck? Because this isn't the first or the second. This is about the sixth time he's put hands on people, yelled at people, been a Trump. CNN and company go, yeah, yeah, that's why we want them. We need somebody who's going to pull out that shotgun. But that's a guy who's supposed to be the premier that cares about black people. I mean, get the fuck out of here. Telling a college student, you're a dog-faced liar. Which would be construed to talking about the appearance of a woman, which is a sexist action. And Twitter didn't take that road. Twitter did not take that road. I mean, I should have checked. Let's check what they're saying now. Because it it was a Twitter moment last night. 
And let's see in our Explorer. Uh, it ain't there anymore. Trump proposal, people search. Oscar, the gay men's chorus of L.A. serenades, Laura Dern, Billie Eilish, channeling John Wayne. It's still there. Jesus Christ, it came back. Channeling John Wayne, Joe Biden calls woman a lying dog-faced pony soldier at campaign event. When a voter asked about Biden standing after Iowa, the former vice president asked the woman had ever been to a caucus when she replied that she didn't. Biden called the woman a lying dog-faced pony soldier, referencing a line from a John Wayne featured movie. Like Olivia notes, it's a joke that was met with drumroll laughter in the room and from the questioner. It's from a John Wayne movie, and he's made plenty of times before. Sorry to ruin your fun on Twitter. Andrew Bates. Hi, Junior. It's a joke he made before. Mark Hemingway. Biden has used this line before and said it was from a John Wayne movie. From She Wore a Yellow Ribbon. Ira. I'm going to start saying this to people. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Wait, it's not a joke. Biden really just called a woman in New Hampshire a lying dog-faced pony soldier. A line apparently got from a John Wayne movie. I cannot handle how weird this election cycle has been. Um, I know there are a lot of folks who want to write our campaign off already, but I've got news for them. We're not going anywhere. Pete Butlick and Bernie Sanders are leading in Iowa caucuses with 62%, and they're still covering that. That's a Twitter moment. They're still, they're still giving them cover. Could you do it as a Republican? Okay, if, even if it was a joke, could you do it as a Republican? Could you call a female a lying dog face? And now it's getting shuffled off Twitter. Just like the ripping, it'll be, you need to take that down. They will fucking pressure people to remove it from the Twitter sphere. And they'll protect a Democrat. I mean, it's totally edged out by the gender reveal abortion video. But I still thought, wow, even jokingly, you would never be allowed to say those to females. And here's the catch, liberals. You shouldn't. We don't talk to women that way. Nobody does that. Us regular folks open doors for women and say, hello, ma'am. Don't curse women. Don't yell at women. We were raised to treat women like queens. And most of us do. But we're the pieces of shit that are sexist because we wouldn't vote for Hillary Clinton who hated us And we don't want to abort babies in the 50th trimester. I don't know where that's at. Somewhere in high school. (laughs) Jesus. So this wraps up a double episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast at gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Make sure you check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and the Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Our next podcast will be 14 February, Year of Our Lord 2020. I'm going to the lake tomorrow. I'm going to have some fun this week. 
Yeah. Got to have some fun. Make sure you spend time with your family. Disconnect from all your devices. And please tune back in next, or this Friday, for the next episode. Which I promise will not be five hours long. And let's beat that four-year record. Let's do it this year. Pass this thing around to people. I mean, I hopefully give you at least a laugh. If you're liberal, I piss you off. For some conservatives, maybe I'm echo chambering things you thought. But it'd be great to get this to go a little further out there because I enjoy doing them and I hope you enjoy listening. As always, my friends, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at Fop Podcast and Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride makes every day count. Thank you.